0: Welcome to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I am your host, Philip A. Jones. As always, we cover topics that are relative to the world of incarceration, and our goal is to bring information to bear so that those most impacted have access to resources that may help them and their loved ones navigate the criminal justice system. Our guest today has extensive and personal knowledge of the subject, having spent 21 years behind the wall with a 25-to-life sentence. He knows firsthand the challenges that many of us face before figuring out that the goal upon entering prison is to get out and not return. He is now a returning citizen doing everything from running a podcast, a nonprofit that provides career and reentry training, while also returning to prisons to head up programs inside. He is truly not forgetting where he came from. Please welcome the good brother, Richard Morales, to the show. How are you, my guy?
1: I'm doing really well. I'm happy to finally be on the wall behind and beyond. I'm looking forward to the days when you're beyond. I know you've been there a long time. I mean, my 21 years doesn't pale in comparison to how long you've been there. I'm on board with the grant parole to Philip mission. And I just want to commend you for what you're doing. There's very few people that I've heard of in the country running a podcast from behind the walls. And it just speaks to your character, <clears throat> to your grit, to your grind, to your entrepreneurship. Um, to your thoughtfulness and you know I'm, I'm pretty sure you're on pace to outpace the podcast I'm doing out here so uh, just nothing but love and respect brother and I just want to share one other thing as we start <clears throat> I have a close friend named Patrick and he served 39 years and he's been out now five and a half he's a homeowner he's a traveling teacher a book writer just published his 10th book so you know he's 65 and Brother's got thirty more years in him, so I know it. It's it's tough. Uh, he'll be there, but um, keep keep at it and pray the wall, the doors open up for you soon.
0: Oh, uh, thank you so much, my friend. Um, I like what you had to say because that inspires me. Not only um Patrick's story, uh, but your story. You know, any amount of decades behind here is too long. But for him to be able to get out after that long and to be this successful, and and he's been out for five now. You know, he is uh, an exceptional individual, and I'm hoping that I'm able to do the same. And I appreciate you coming through. I want to get to it so we can talk about some of the amazing things that you got going on out there. Uh, so, can you tell us uh, where you're from uh, and a little bit about your background?
1: Yeah. So, I'm born and raised in California. Um, I've lived here my whole life, except for a couple years when I was in the military when I was younger, uh, 18 to 20. But,. Uh, born in Bakersfield, California and lived all up and down the state, you know, from the age of one to 11 years old, grew up in poverty in the housing projects. I know what it's like to, uh, be on welfare, the welfare cheese, the, the, the milk with the little bit of water in it, uh, the hard cornflakes. Um, and I didn't even really know we were poor, man. I didn't know. I didn't know everybody around us was the same way. I know what it's like to live in an oppressive environment. In fact, I just took, um, my family um, back there uh, on Thanksgiving and we drove through the neighborhood that I hadn't been back to in oh 30 years <clears throat> no, m- well um, yeah about 30 years so it was uh still oppressive still tough and um you could just feel it you could just feel it and it's not many people made it out of there not of them in prison or mostly dead um so you know just uh background is uh we finally moved out of there and moved into a place where my mama got got married and we, we got closer to the tracks not over the tracks but closer to the tracks and <clears throat> he had raised four daughters never raised a son he early, me and you have had those conversations about that you know, that toxic uh those toxic male traits and you know he had all those and never said i love you merry christmas happy birthday never showed affection and was just uh trying to show me what it meant to be a man and ways that didn't really work for me and so i rebelled started hanging out with the fellas at the bus stop um smoking weed in sixth grade it's how it started and you know that all that affection and acceptance and attention and affirmation that i had for my mom growing up um pretty much i felt was lost uh, and so I began to get it from the neighborhood, from the fellas and, uh, stayed on that pathway. Um, not, was never really formally jumped in as a gang member, but hung out in all circles of those practicing criminality and somehow barely graduated from high school and already went down a terrible path. Thankfully I had an uncle had worked for PG E for 40 years, sat me down one day, said, you're headed nowhere fast. You're, you're all sucked up in drugs and you need to get out of here. Let me help you. And I was like, what's, what's your, what's suggestion. So he, he took me down to the MEPS and I signed up for the Air Force. And that's where I was for two years. But my thinking was still the same and I had no transformation in my thinking. And so the first chance I got to come back to California, I started drinking and drugging again and eventually was separated after two years. And that was really the only positive thing that I felt that I could give my family was that I had learned how to be uh, an electrician in the Air Force. And so when I got separated, I didn't tell them. I was ashamed and I tried to keep up the facade that I was still in and I really wasn't. And instead of, you know, looking for another career pathway out here, all the guilt and shame and blame, I just uh, immersed myself in in drugs and went back to full-time dope dealing, uh, living in all those types of places where I could do it full-time. That led to, you know, Burglaries and robberies. And uh, eventually I started using myself on a, on a deeper level. And that and robbing culminated with attempted murder, home invasion, first degree burglary, real first offense and resulting in 25 years to life in prison. So there I was 20, 21 years old headed for a life sentence.
0: Hey, man, as I listen, you know, your story mirrors mine in a lot of ways. You know, um, I came up the same way uh, and went through the same things. And one of the main things that you said, it really stuck with me. Um, It depends on how you are raised and the thing that you're exposed to um, that's going to determine how you show up in the world. Uh, for instance, uh, when you talked about, you know, what your know, um stepdad was showing you, um, or what the male role model was and your house, your home at the time was showing you was that um he didn't know there wasn't a lot of affection, there wasn't a lot of, you know, you know, taking part in like holidays and greet, and greeting in the morning. But just so many different things. Um these all shape us. And so you said something else too. You can't run away from who you are so if you go in the military for 2 years even though you were was able to accomplish and achieve some things in there and learn some trades and skills you were still the same person so when you came home you were you weren't able um, to remove yourself from that line of thinking and that uh, and those behavior patterns. So, I uh identify with that totally and I'm, I appreciate you pointing that out for those listening because a lot of people don't understand. Well, you had an opportunity, you got, you know, you you could have did better. You could have did something else. Having skills don't change you. Um, is inner values in you um, being able to change the way that you, you you perceive the world. You know what I'm saying? So thank you for saying that, man. That takes us into uh, question number two, actually. Um, you are a formerly incarcerated individual. I read that you got 25 of life for attempted murder and served 21 years inside. Tell us about that, and when did you get out?
1: Yeah, I went in in 1998, August of 1998, and I was found suitable at my first parole board hearing, and which is only very rare. Only 2% of lifers do here in California. And Um, you know, parole board here, denials. The denials are three years, five years, seven years, 10 years, and 15 years. And I just couldn't put my mom through that anymore. All those visits, you know, she used to visit me every six to eight weeks while I was there. And there were times when she would tell me, you know, I just can't, I just, I just can't come here anymore. You would think that they would treat free people, um, different than us. And, um, you know, a lot of times they don't. And they, the, my mom was tired of it. And and she and my grandparents were really the ones who stuck by my side all that time. Um, And I wanted to make them proud. I never saw a lifer go home for the first 12 years of my incarceration. Back then, Gray Davis was the governor in the early 90s, 2000, late 90s, 2000s. And he said the only way a lifer will ever leave prison is in a pine box. And people believed him. You know, people, nobody went home. I didn't see one go home. So my transformation started before that. You know, like I said I was living a life of criminality. I was if, you know, all of the contributing factors aside of of all the things that contributed to the way my criminal thinking back then. At some point, I was mature enough to know, you know, the things that I was doing was wrong. <clears throat> my grandpa used to say, if you do the right thing cuz it's the right thing to do, life is easy and that wasn't my commitment. And I knew that eventually the life I was living was going to result in someone else's death or mine. And so 25 to life in there, you think uh, um, would be enough to change a person's life, but it wasn't, you know, I had to bump my head a few more times.
0: For sure, man, um, I'm hearing you now and I'm still sitting here. And again, man, um, it's the same way um, in my state. Uh, they don't really particularly like to let life is out. But at the same time, um, when you're changing and uh, when you're, Adding values to your your way of life, and you are doing positive things at some point um you know you're going to have to be the exception, and they're going to have to open them doors because everything you're doing is contributing to the better men of your uh, community and those around you so hey man, uh, I tilt my hat I'm so happy man that they that you got out and fairly early in the because you know twenty five of life you did twenty one I believe so that was awesome, and I'm glad you was able to make it out, man, and do some things that you're
1: doing. Me too. I was in the board hearing for seven and a half hours. Normally, they're about two to four hours, and they really left no stone unturned. And most people here in California, bro, they have a, a negative view of the board. They think I mean, they're just trying to keep us here longer and longer. And I could see why they would say that, especially since lifers didn't used to go home. Now, there's been thousands. Of lifers that have gone home, but the parole board is still very tough. And what they want to know is mainly: do you have insight into why you committed your crime? Do you how you got to the place in your thinking that you found it okay to cause this type of harm, uh, to hurt people, murder, attempted murder, rob, whatever it was? How did you get there? Can you talk about that old thinking? And can you talk about the person that you are today? And if and if your thinking isn't new, you know, and and now today I have discussed for my thinking back then i think back to when i was addicted to methamphetamines and thinking it was cool to blow use a, a torch to blow my own glass pipe and and sitting in a room by myself blowing a pipe and smoking dope out of it and thinking that hey this is this is cool this is this is good i'm gonna show this pipe to somebody now i think back I go, man what the heck was wrong with me? you know i've been sober now um, June will be uh, 10th will be 23 years and um, I just my thinking was all distorted so they want to be able to see you know can you look at who you were then and, and then who are you now do you know the distinction and then also do you have remorse that, you know are you willing to take responsibility there was one moment when I when I lied in the board hearing and they caught it immediately so I don't know if you want me to share that but you know people need to fall on the sword when they go to the board from my perspective just get it all out man just tell them yeah. the prison will tell you don't, never, don't ever tell on yourself Right. And I think we need to just let it all out.
0: Hey, man, it's funny you said that, man, because when we first come in, man, we still have that that stinking thinking, man. And we still want to deny everything. We still want to act like we are innocent, man. And for many years, man, that was me. So I definitely hear what you're saying, man. You got to, before you can actually make a full and complete restorative change, you got to come clean, man. And you got to say, you got to let it all out. Because you're not going to be able to navigate them lies, man, and keep trying to talk around it. You know what I mean? Exactly. And congratulations exactly. on that 23 years, man. Clean, man. I didn't want to let that escape either, you know?
1: Yeah, it's been a journey, you know. Uh, out here I see people drinking and partying and the saddest thing is a lot of a lot of life or friends or people who did a long time, brothers I knew were sober in there a, a long time. They came out, hey, it's legal to smoke weed in California. And sure enough, it is legal, right? But what I see with that is these brothers who had so much talent to be on, you know, on the radio easy. I knew brothers who rap like Drake, you know, poets, guys who could be engineers brilliant minds musicians but what i see is when they start going back to that they lose their ambition now it's about i go to go to work get paid come home sit on the couch watch play video games smoke bud and it's like man all them visions all those dreams they'll end up in the graveyard so for me i like who i am sober today yeah it looks it looks fun when everybody's partying and all that but hey it's been a long time for me and i appreciate who i am sober so i'm gonna keep it that way
0: Absolutely my guy. I appreciate you man uh, for telling it like it is. How were you able to redirect yourself toward constructive pursuits while inside and what was it that made you change your previous course?
1: Man, I'll I'll i will I'd be remiss if I didn't give God some glory for the work he did in me, I'll tell you, bro, that, you know, a lot of people talk about, they think even my own grandma, when I, when I told her that I had given my, my, my life to God, my mind, my heart to God at first, she's like, don't tell me about all that God stuff. You know, uh, you're just doing that to, to get more time off your sentence. (laughs) A lot of people out here don't know that, that they don't give you time off for becoming a Christian or, or having, having, uh, coming to some faith, uh, in there. There's no time off for that. Um, and and then they'll say, Oh man, you know, you you oh you got brainwashed by that stuff. Well, for me, I, I go with it. I say, hey, I needed my brainwashed. I was jacked up. The the way the way it was, bro, I never injected uh drugs into my arms out here. I, I snorted it, I smoked it, but when I got to prison, I got introduced to needles. You have one minute left.
0: We'll uh, pick it up on the other side, man, and you can finish that, man, because that's an important part right there that I definitely want the listeners to hear about. So uh, let's pick it up on the other side. Uh, We got Richard Morelles. Stay tuned. Hello and Happy New Year. I want to thank all of my loyal supporters for subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you've just recently started following the wall behind and beyond, please hit the subscribe button as well as the notification bell. We don't want you to miss any of our upcoming episodes as we have some great show guests to bring you. Please share our show with everyone you know as we approach 1,000 subscribers. Also, to contact me directly, j has switched over to Securus Technologies. So download the Securus app to your mobile device and type in my prison number, which is eight eight one five zero seven. This will add you to my email list, and I can see your name appear on my tablet. Thank you, everyone. Let's make 2023 our best year, and let's speak truth to power. Just a recap of where we were before the uh, break you were saying that when you were out that you didn't inject you know you did other ways of using drugs but then you started talking about when you went inside
1: so i get to a level four and i'm not sure how it is in washington but over here you know like the lowest level is level one lifers aren't allowed to go there but level two is where i end up spending like 18 years but in that first couple years <clears throat> like about uh well 15 months or so I was in that level four and it was crazy like the first week on the yard I saw someone get killed on the yard and oh in this level four they have video cameras in the towers and I, and they so everybody's down they go look at the tower video they identify who who the the victim was and who I mean they knew who the victim was but the who the victimizer was they go arrest him take him off the yard take the person that was uh assaulted and eventually died of his wounds <clears throat> off the yard and then the, on the intercom they say resume yard and everybody gets back up and if it would have been like race based then they would have locked us down but it wasn't and in that moment i thought wow someone just got murdered right here or killed or looked like i didn't find out till later that he died but it looked like he was gonna die um and i never seen that before you know uh and to me it was just so my goal my goal was stay alive my goal was survival do whatever it takes fate if even though i i knew in my heart like some people really believe in the gang mentality as they you know they were they were raised in it like they really believe it until one day they find out like that these people really don't love me in the in a new way that i identify love so but i didn't i I always knew like it was wrong but i didn't let them know that Hmm. so i was gonna go along to get along and i happened to have a Sally who was a shot caller and we went on a lockdown after a riot probably like two months later and we're on a nine-month lockdown and in that lockdown he said uh have you ever tried heroin and for the first no and for me it was an escape um and it was a way to fit in and for him it was someone to party with him so next thing you know for the next 10 months we're injecting heroin cocaine doing belushi's meth and um so it all culminated with i still remember it like it was yesterday it was um october 30th 1999 we had bb king live in san quentin on repeat <clears throat> and he was singing the thrill is gone and we did so much heroin that we were on the verge of death in the cell turning colors could barely move my Sally the only thing he could say was don't let me die and in, in my mind I was thinking don't let you die I'm dying my heart was going slow um and I just laid there and it was like in the movies where you, your childhood flashes through your eyes your mom your her voice flashes through her eyes I mean through your through your mind and all these memories, and I was thinking, here it is. I'm gonna die as a drug addict in prison. 25 of life, and I'm gonna die as a drug addict in prison. This is it. Um, I felt my mom, I felt society, I felt myself, harm people. I'm just I'm faking a fraud and I'm gonna die. And in that moment, I just said, God, I don't wanna die. Help me, let me live through the night. Let me live through the night, you know, and I'll and I'll and I'll change, please. And I that's pretty much the last thing I remember saying. The next day I remember waking up and and we both made it through the night and after that I told my celly, I'm done. I'm done. And um he said, You ain't done and I said, No, I'm done and that was it for me and after that I began the path of making some changes.
0: That's what's up, man, and um, you know, that's a powerful story, man, and a powerful testimony and I just wanna tell all the listeners that he he is telling the truth because you know, I'm from Maryland, and, you know, I, I was caught up heavily in the gang activity uh, for a long time, many years in prison. Um, but the main reason I did it was to fit in. Um, the main reason I did it was to be a part of something that I thought was something that was good for me, um, having a life sentence. And, um, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to what you said. With our old way of thinking, that's not love, what you're expecting to receive and what you... Because they are also traumatized, and they don't know nothing about that either. So um, you end up in a lot of situations that um, are destructive to you, but also um, it hurts your family and your loved ones who want to see you come back home. And so I tell the young people, um, it's a lot of pitfalls, and I hope that you won't join no gang. And um, I hope that you will understand that my story, as well as the brother Richard's it's a testimony that you can learn from and that people, that's family members of, of those who maybe can give them some advice that um, that's the wrong thing to do, especially young coming in. But man, to hear you say that you were on the verge of dying and then you woke up the next morning, thank God, and you were you quit and you said, I'm done. Um, that took willpower and strength, man. And um, like you said, it was God, man, in the plan, you know?
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, after that, <clears throat> I did everything I could to get to a, a level three. And when I got to the level three, I entered the yard, uh, letting the powers that be you know I'm not living that life no more. And I knew there would be there could be consequences and God God kept me there as well. Because you know, I went over here. If you say um you're gonna pursue that different life that's not with the what well, not with the gang, then um it's like all right, don't let me catch you fighting, gambling. Smoking, drinking, looking at pornography—the moment you, the moment you go, want to, you, you want to live in both worlds—we're coming for you. Two on one gets stabbed. So you know a lot of it was fear-based. <laughs> you know, toe the line, and but really, I did have a heart uh, for change and for God, and to do it as a 22, almost 23 years old is rare. But over time, uh, standing my ground, studying. I, I had never finished a book before going to prison. I had never, I had dreams of going to college. <clears throat> I started taking every correspondence course I could get my hands on, reading every book I could get my hands on. <clears throat> I'd read book after book. There were many, many more lockdowns, 10-month lockdown, one-year lockdown, seven-month lockdown from riots. And I'd take advantage. I'd study for 16 hours a day, I just total immersion of my mind. And eventually my thinking began to change. I wrote letters of amends to all my family members. And even if I wasn't going to get out at the time, I didn't believe that I would get out. I I wasn't supposed to go before the board uh, until December of 2021 because laws changed here. I got to go earlier, but I never I never thought that I would uh, be free. But one thing I said was, even if I die in here, I want to make my mom and my grandparents proud.
0: Hey, man, I just told someone the other day, I said when I was in the Supermax, I stayed there for five years. I read every day, that's all I could do. Um, I said, the more that I read, the more that a light kept going on. It kept opening, a light was turning on in my brain. Like, um, I couldn't even listen to some of the things that we used to talk about. I felt as though those old ways of thinking were slowly leaving my mind, because I was disgusted by some of the things that people was talking about, like the things that they were doing, the things that we did. The more knowledge I got, the more I noticed that my behavior and my conduct was changing. And so that tells you something. It's what you have. Inside of your, that's right. Your value system, when it changes, also your actions will change because they don't go together. And so, man, I'm. that just brought that back to me when you said that. And that's what it is. And I'm glad that you were able to even if it was a little fear, too, because ain't nobody trying to, you know, end up getting stabbed up and not going home. So if they say, you know, don't straddle the fence, you had the discipline. It took you to be um, who you were, conviction in your character, uh, to be able to say, you know, let alone that, I'm not going back. You know what I mean? And you did it. So I want you to uh, tell our listeners about CROP, if you don't mind, its mission and why you created it.
1: I want to say something about, also real quick about what you just shared. Absolutely. Like the discipline <clears throat> to be able to have those conversations. You know, someone once said, courage is fear that said his prayers. And sure enough, some courage is needed. And what helped me to be courageous, for the first time I read, there was a section, a Dr. King section of books in the library. I started reading all his books. And I read the speech there. There was a book with all of his speeches. And later on, I got to hear the audio. But on the night before he was assassinated, he gave a speech. And the one that says, I may not get there with y'all, but I've been to the mountaintop and I've looked to the other side. In that speech, he says, he's he's like predicting his own death, assassination. He says, and for the person at my funeral who gives a eulogy, he said, tell him not to speak too long. He said, tell him not to speak about my three or 400 awards. That's not important. And if you want to tell him that I was a drum major in college, don't tell him that I was a drum major in college. Tell him I was a drum major for justice. Tell him that I tried to love somebody. Tell him that I tried to leave this world a better place. And when I read that, that be that, and some of the words from other other leaders, but especially that, that was a motivation for me to say, you know what, even if uh, I may die in here uh, before getting out, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a stand. It may mean you know being harmed, it may mean being killed, but he gave me that courage to him and other leaders that I read gave me the courage to go and have the conversations. And you know what people, I got more respect for that. And over time it was the so-called hardest of all gang members that would come to me and say, Hey, can you help me get in college? Or can you help me get in this group? Or can you pray for my mom? You know? So, um, but I, I, I wanted to add that real quick. Cause um, a lot of people think they can't, I can't change. I can't, you can, but are you willing to, are you willing to be courageous in the face of the consequences like other men have? And other women have.
0: mm-hmm hey man that's real talk um, I couldn't have said it better myself man you broke that down and uh, I love what you said man where, um when you read about what dr. King stood for and how he was talking um, it triggered something in your own mind um, to basically stay your course so you know what you've been doing a lot of things man since you've been out and I'm looking at it and I'm saying to myself this is exactly what i want to do when i get out this is exactly how i want to uh you know present myself to the world on the other side and so i thought about your organization man and um your it's crop c-r-o-p uh its mission and why it was created so i would like for you to share with us something about that
1: yeah so around 2010 i met three other guys uh who became my closest friends and still are to this day um at the time, I just got my A degree with a 4.0, and I was pretty driven like you. Um, and, you know, I was willing to do everything and anything for my freedom. And um, starting group, started a Toastmaster, started a Criminals and Gang Members Anonymous, just starting programs and doing this. And I met these other guys, and they're hands down all smarter than me. But they were thinkers. They were movers and shakers. They were willing to live against the antisocial prison politics. And started hanging out with them, and we had this idea of starting the island of transformation, where we would invite others over to our island, and one day we hoped that our small island would become the big island, and then those who are committed to their criminality, we just keep inviting them over to our island. So over the next ten years, nine years, um, we became state certified alcohol and drug counselors. We got our bachelors, and they got their masters. I'm, I'm still five classes shy of mine, and. They got their um we became transformational coaches. We are blessed to have a team come in and, and train us to be coaches. And um, so they um we just we just formed a brotherhood, man. You know, to I, I say this and sometimes my family gets a little bit offended, but I have a, a deep bond and love in my heart for them, more so than the majority of my family. They they are my family. I say today we have relatives and we have family members, and those are my relatives and these? this is my family. And we had this audacious idea, Philip, to come out here. I was the first one on my team to get released. Today we have 21 employees at CROP. And our idea was to come out here and see how re is not being done, right? See all the flaws, see the siloed system, see how we're still being treated as subhuman beings, even though we're free. See how the In general, people think we're only worth the sweat off our backs and we're only worthy of gig economy jobs. And we wanted to bust that all up. We wanted to bust it up with our with our um, entrepreneurial way of thinking and in recidivism through providing somebody with professional workplace skills, leadership development, next level leadership development, digital literacy, financial literacy, the things that we don't we didn't know we didn't like you went in in 19 now you know 30 32 years later do you know how to write a check do you know how to own a home do you know what it takes most of us don't know so we have to learn and then provide a career where they could start at at least 60,000 a year and make a livable wage people are talented enough for that uh in there but people aren't out here and aren't believing in them we took our ideas to the state of California and they believed in us most people wouldn't think they'd give five former lifers million. But they did. They did because of our authenticity, credibility, our our business plans. And so this next month, we're opening up uh, our career campus in Oakland, five condos in a nice area where everybody will not be shoved into a room with six other people, but have their own room, their own bathroom, their own laptop, uh, their own kitchens, brand new facility. And we're going to give them, while while they get a year of housing and all the other training, um, on a seven seven hour day they're gonna, We're going to give them A thousand dollars a month uh, Stipend while they're there And um, so far 1300 people have gone through Our programs in total And no one's ever gone back No one's ever gone back Why? Because we treat people With dignity and humanity And believe and see them For who they could be And help them live From that, from that perspective Right? Instead of one that is uh, You know You'll never be nothing You're not good enough You're not smart enough All that kind of stuff
0: Hey, man, congratulations on that, man, and you're right. Reentry is not about just giving them a bus token and a job uh, referral, right? You you guys cover the gamut because you've been there, and so what you're doing is you're asking yourself, what is it that I needed? What is it that if I had it, I would have been successful? And I hear you, and I saw some pictures of that. that Academy, you got... It looks so good, man. From the outside, man, I'm like, man, I want to live there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so you think I think you covered it all? We talk about that in here too. When we talk about reentry, what is reentry, and why are most reentry uh, organizations not successful? Because they're leaving things unappropriated, um, and so you guys are covering it all, man. And I think that that's why no one has went back because you you took them out of the environment of chaos. And you also put exactly. them in an environment of safety, so now they have the space and they had a peace of mind to learn, to grow, to develop. And man, that's so good, man! And I'm glad that you um, you got that.
1: You know, Philip, we call it the dignity of work. So I don't know about. I'm sure you could relate to this in some way. There, I don't know what they what they pay an hour over there in Washington. I'm curious, but over here in California, like the most you can make at any job is like twenty seven bucks a month. We're talking a 40-hour week, no sick days, no holidays, um, $0.08 cents an hour. And if you owe restitution, they're going to take 50% of that. So you're talking
0: you
1: have one minute $13. left. $13.50 a month. But there's – so if you see those guys have those jobs, there's a certain way they walk and talk and go to their jobs, especially in the chow hall, you know, they'll steal everything that's not bolted down to get their side hustle on. But the ones that work in uh, the PIA where they learn trades, and they can make one hundred eighty dollars, two hundred forty dollars a month. They walk different. They talk different. They ru- practically run into their run into their job because two hundred forty bucks. You can have everything you want in prison and send some money home. So I'll wait till you call back to finish the rest.
0: All right, yeah, man. We're gonna pick up on the other side, Richard Barellis, y'all. We're gonna talk about some more of this, man. Very positive conversation. Hello and Happy New Year. I want to thank all of my loyal supporters for subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you've just recently started following the wall behind and beyond, please hit the subscribe button as well as the notification bell. We don't want you to miss any of our upcoming episodes as we have some great show guests to bring you. Please share our show with everyone you know as we approach 1,000 subscribers. Also to contact me directly, JPEG has switched over to Securus Technologies. So download the Securist app to your mobile device and type in my prison number, which is eight eight one five zero seven. This will add you to my email list and I can see your name appear on my tablet. Thank you everyone. Let's make twenty twenty three our best year and let's speak truth to power. Back on the other side, Richard Morellis, you were talking, brother, and I wanted you to get back to the thoughts that you had uh, because you were you were hidden somewhere.
1: Yeah, I just want to say that that the concept of the dignity of work. So with those with those fellows who got to make 180 and 200 dollars a month and 240 dollars a month by creating, you know, doing a carpentry or uh, working on a CNC machine or the certain trades. Right. But there's there's only a limited amount of people who can get back there to work. They they shifted to carry themselves in a different way once they started making a livable wage um in for prison. I mean, for prison, a hundred dollars, you know, it's, it's pretty it's pretty good. Um, and um, you know, I, I'm for making minimum wage in prison at least, but whatever. It is what it is. I'm so I'm speaking from the perspective of the system as as it is now. That said, out here, if you you made a good point a minute ago. If you come out making $15, $18 an hour, you can't survive on that. So where are you going to live? You're going back to the neighborhood, right? And now you live in a, a drug-infested, gang-infested apartment coming out after years in prison. There's a lot more temptation to go back. Not saying that it you have to, but um, you know, you're more prone to being assaulted or different things. Or so <clears throat> if a person can make a livable we- wage and that's our premise, then they have the funds to become a homeowner to do things for their community. I've been able to pay my parents mortgage. I send my, my family home, my, my sister money for her kids, for school supplies and for their school clothes. Man, that feels good. You know, it feels good to be able to 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 be able to do that. So there's nothing in me that wants to go back. My thinking has changed and you provide a liberal wage to back that up. People don't want to go back. They want to thrive.
0: That's what's up. And I love that, man, because that's what I try to explain and break down to people who don't know about prison. have any experience or any loved ones inside, um, they wonder um, why people keep returning. Recidivism has a lot to do with someone not being embraced by society and coming out and having a living wage, like you said. Um, If you don't have it, um, there's only a few alternatives. And so if you don't have any support, um, you're probably going to end up, like you said, right back in the same environment, ending up in the same places. So that's a key point that I want people to take away. And and speaking of that, um, what would you like um, our listeners to take away from the interview? Because what you're saying is a lot of powerful things, but I know um, that those listening uh, could benefit from a lot of it.
1: Well, for those listening, you have loved ones who are incarcerated. I'll say the number one thing is don't, don't lose hope. Even if they're still uh, caught in the mix and, living a life that's not conducive to their freedom, they can change. Uh, it was the love of my mom and and other people inspiring me to make changes, continue to inspire them, motivate them. And in time, um, anybody can change. I've known men that, that they live all the way in the gang lifestyle, everything for 20 years. And then after 20 years, they said, that's enough. So I wouldn't give up hope, um, continue to pour life. And for those who are incarcerated do all that you can to set yourself up, to get into a position where you could be free. I always say I had to learn how to be free on the inside before I could be free on the outside. When I was able to do that, surprisingly, I think most people in there, they want that change. So we think they're going to judge us. We might get stabbed. We might get hurt if we go against the culture. But if you carry yourself in a way where you're really about it and you're really living that life, I think that from my perspective, a lot of people get another level of respect and, um, to where even um, and nobody want to do anything to you. They want you to go home, you know, because that dude's really changed. He's really a changed person, so we want you to go home. I've experienced that. The other thing is <clears throat> men need to come out, especially, I say, especially the men. When I go to the Capitol, I've been on 90 legislative visits now, been a part of changing five different laws. When I go to the state Capitol to be a part of changing laws, 90 – 85 to 90 percent of the people there that are working on legislation are women, are women, the mothers, the sisters, the daughters, the grandmothers, the wives, the girlfriends. Where are the men? The the men that were in prison complaining about these laws not changing come out and we get a job, we get in a relationship and we could care less about all those we left behind. We can't have that perspective. If we want true change, um, we have to get to the point where we're involved. We're involved in the process long-term.
0: That's what's up. Hey, man, we say that every day around here, man. Don't complain, man. Take action. You know, get involved. Um, And so I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that and also one more thing to add on to what the brother was saying is that don't give up on us. Um, Everyone has redeeming qualities, and at some point they're going to get tired of the way they're living. Um, An old head told me one time, he said, dissatisfaction is the prime motivator for change. And so one day when you wake up and you're just tired of it, you're going to, you're going to change and you're going to, you're going to say I'm done. So just don't give up on your loved ones and try to understand, you know what I mean, um, rather than pass judgment. How can our listeners follow you or learn more or get involved with Crop or anything else that you have going on?
1: Yeah, they can go to our website. It's at croporganization.org. We have an application on there. Right now it's for those in California, but we have an application for those who are paroling to the Bay Area or to the LA area where the most people parole here in California, and they could sign up to get involved uh, in our program where everything is um, um, set up like a career campus, like college. You know, we want them to thrive. And so croporganization.org, we're on uh, all social medias as well. And I took a little break from doing the podcast, but the prison post podcast is on um, different podcasting platforms and also on YouTube. And we want to have some guests, Philip, I'd love for you to come on as well, to share the work that you're doing from inside there. We want to highlight incarcerated people who are living transformed lives and ready to come outside of prison and hit the ground, moving and shaking, willing to make a difference in other people's lives, you know, and and being responsible citizens again. Um, That's what we want.
0: No doubt. Anytime brother. You send me the invite. I'm there. Uh, We got to work out a schedule, uh, but most definitely, man, you know, and I thank you, my brother, for the phenomenal work you're doing out there and for stopping by, man, and just giving your perspective, man. Stay up and keep doing what you're doing.
1: Absolutely. Thank you again uh, for having me on the wall um, behind and beyond. I'm going to keep you in my prayers, bro. You got the world at your fingertips when you come out. And it don't matter what age you are. You got a lot of life in you. You got that drive, that grit, that grind. Life's going to be good. And I want that for you, bro. So God bless you. Take care.
0: God bless you too, man. Hey, say hello to the family, man. And uh, I'll be in touch. Sure. And uh, man, thank you again, man, for coming by.